Welcome to Series 3 of the Tim Hill Podcast. In the last two series, I've told you about my life. I've met many interesting people along the way who have become my friends, and what they all have in common is they have fascinating stories of their own, which they are happy to share with you now. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm interviewing Paul. Paul is going to tell us all about what he did with his life. So, Paul, if you can tell me when and where you were born, and if you can describe what it was like where you grew up, the type of schools you went to, and the education you received. Over to you, Paul. I am the son of a Navy chief, so my life actually began at St Mary's Hospital in Portsmouth. My father didn't come out of the Navy until 1960, as Chief ERA. Um, so we lived in Elson till I was five. So my first school would have been Elson um, Infant School or the equivalent in today's educational system, whatever that is, but it was an infant school in my days. I didn't have more than a year there when we relocated to London where I really started to remember being a child. Uh, we moved to East London, Walthamstow, where my father took up a, a position as chief or one of the two chief control engineers of the Houses of Parliament. Um, my first school that I remember, because I don't remember the Elson one, was Thorpe Hall Infant School in Hayland Road, Walthamstow, E17, which, funnily enough, I remember very little about educational-wise. Um, but I do remember at the bottom of the playground the steam trains that were running right up to the early middle 60s. That seemed to be the highlight of my day, watching the steam trains go by. Um, but I must have left there with a um, the required amount of, of uh, knowledge um, because I then moved on to Selwyn Avenue uh, Junior School, uh, which was exactly a mile walk from my, my house, where I completed my junior education and then moved on to a big old Victorian school called Chapel End, uh, near the Crooked Billet, again in Walthamstow, uh, where I commenced my secondary school education. Uh, just about scraped through that, I suppose. I did have a um, an issue in year or halfway through where um, I was getting mixed up with more unfavourable um, pupils, but um, they decided to separate us and I was relocated to another secondary school with a, with another bunch of lads, which was in Sydney Burnell sec Secondary Modern School in Hyams Park, uh, which is where I finished my uh, full-time education. We did have GCEs, I think, or O-levels. I wasn't very successful in that and I left school being able to read and write and have the base baseline of education. Uh, but I think my whole school career was summed up as he did what he had to, no more. So at the tender age of 15, I was packed off to Liverpool Street uh, to join the Royal Navy. And I arrived at HMS Ganges on the 20th of April, 1970. So that's my my education as far as Civvy Street is concerned. So growing up around sort of, I guess, Walthamstow, it'd be sort of North London-ish, wasn't it? 
No, East London, quite close to Epping Forest. We had the Walthamstow dog track, and I remember going down the, the long markets in Walthamstow. It's a mile long, the Walthamstow market, uh, with Menzies Pioneer Shop halfway down. <laughs> silly, the little things that you do remember. Saturday Morning Pictures was another one. Oh, I love Saturday Morning Pictures. They, they were good fun. Um, I even remember the girl that I fancied, and I used to follow home from there and try and chat her up in the park. When you look back at the age you were, I mean, I don't know, 10, 11, and there was no fear about, you know, going out in the parks and flirting with girls. And that's what you all did, you know. And in the summer holidays, you were kicked out at daylight and told to come back for your tea when it got dark. I mean, you you, you made your own entertainment. But I, I did like freshwater fishing. I spent a lot of time in the local ponds fishing. And uh, and the other thing we all did in those days, because it was free, go to all the London museums. And you could get on a on the London transport then, um, what they called a Red Rover, for half a crown for all day, uh, free travel, hopping on and off buses all over London. And again, when I think that I used to go out for 10 or 12 hours a day, hopping on buses up the city, all over London as a 10-year-old, going in and out museums and, and learning life. I suppose that's where my full-time life education started rather than in the in the classroom. But, uh, yeah, very, very, very fond, memorable days. I thoroughly enjoyed my time at school. I wouldn't say I learned that much. I learned how to read and write and, and have an understanding of what discipline was about, which I think was probably the reason it gave me a good start in in my naval life talking of naval life did you do any of the sea cadets or army cadets while you were going through school or or wasn't that a done thing in that area oh um no i did um not not sea cadets not in east london um i joined the boy scouts uh, i was a cub and then the scouts and in fact it was the scouts that gave me a start in in sailing we used to go at some weekends out to chesant which is out of town and i learned to sail in water rats uh, which is a little fiberglass dinghy. And from there, we used to go down the later stages of learning to sail. We used to go down to Bradwell-on-Sea in Essex in Wayfarers and sail over the wash to Brightling Sea uh, and, and places like that. So I did a reasonable amount of sailing and got quite confident in what I was doing before I joined the Navy. I was very much into practical things. If I did excelling anything at school, it was metalwork, woodwork, um, swimming, sports, uh, the rest of it. Nah. So you went off to HMS Ganges, what happened yep. at Ganges? What was it like there at that time? I think if you ask the same question to any Ganges boy, he will probably give you the same answer, if they're honest. At the time, you wonder what the hell has happened to you. It is a short, sharp shock of discipline. You miss home, even at 15. You're subject to rigorous training, physical, mental, and, uh, you know, this all comes at you at a very high speed. And I remember being homesick. I remember um, all sorts of things. But when you actually leave... There's a transformation over that year you're, you're there, and they say Ganges turns boys into men. Well, I think that's perfectly true, because when I left there, I had a full understanding of what the fleet required of me, what I was capable of giving the fleet, and the the normal issues of you know seasickness, homesickness and so on seemed to dissipate over that 12-month period. I look back on it now with absolute love and affection, 
perhaps not as much as I did when I was going through the 12 months there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I guess, that's a I guess at that sort of era, sort of very early 70s, and when I went through um, basic training in the army in 74, and it was a pretty brutal regime. And and I still look back on that as it, it was. It made me what I am today, I guess. Yeah. And I guess yeah, exactly. that same same with Ganges. That's the sort of thing that it would do to you yeah. there. Exactly. You don't wake up every day when you were under army training, or I was at Ganges, thinking, "My God, this is absolutely fantastic. I'm loving every minute of it." Um, you don't realise how much good it did you and how much you did enjoy it uh, until it becomes a, a place you went to in the past. Absolutely. So what was your first draft? Oh, my first draft. Oh, straight straight to the big ships, HMS Eagle. I joined her in Plymouth in 71 and we went off on our final on our final round the world trip. We were gone for 14, 15 months and we did a complete round the world, different exercises. So what was she? She's an aircraft carrier. She was uh, 50,000 tonnes, a bit smaller than uh, the current aircraft carriers. She had about eight or nine sea vixens and half a dozen buccaneers and a couple of gannets, which were what we call the CODs, the carrier of dispatches. That was the mail. Whenever they put the gannet up, it was going off to get mail, so we liked that. And an assortment of helicopters. Yeah, we, we had... Um, uh, we had quite a, a good trip. We did the Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, Singapore, South Africa. We had a lot of fun in South Africa. Uh, if you unleash two and a half thousand men into the South Africa of the early 70s when apartheid was absolutely rife, it, it was an eye opener for a 16 year old. It really was, you know, the times where you have. I guess you'd have been 17 by then. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, I left I left the UK at about 16 and a half and I came back at nearly 18. Yeah. You, you know, this is where you suddenly learn that you go in one door for whites and another door for blacks and black benches, white benches, black cabs, white cabs. Segregation was, you know, and it's, it's hard to take it in at that age. Uh, but you do learn, you know, you'll get an understanding. The funny tale was that our captain was a, a, a four-ringer called Robinson. And um, he, his logo, call it what you want, we had a great big 12-foot high material gollywog that used to fly <laughs> fly from the funnel. RO5 was our, our flag number, RO5. And it used to fly next to that, as, and it was golly, it's Robbie. Well, unfortunately, we flew that when we went into Cape Town <laughs> in 1972, and it hit all the papers back at home. You know, Royal Navy insensitive, and oh, it was it, it was a nightmare, absolute nightmare. Uh, we hit we hit the papers. We on several occasions, I remember, we got stuck in a typhoon off of New Zealand and lost lost an aircraft over the front. We had to put to sea because it was too rough to be in Wellington. We had a, a LOX explosion which killed two crewmates. Um, we had to bring their bodies back home in the in the fridge space. It was an eventful trip, but a cracking, absolute cracking trip. Well, last of the great ships, I think the following year, they decommissioned Ark Royal as well, because there was two of us, Ark Royal and Eagle. But you listen to the tales that, um, you know, the two new flag carriers that we have and the issues they've got with leaks here and leaks there. The Eagle, if my memory serves me correct, when it came back from the Med and came into Plymouth, um, where I joined her for the final leg of the, the, the year's uh, out the Far East. She ran aground in Plymouth Sound 
And when she limped back alongside, uh, they poured hundreds of tons of ferrocrete in the bottom of the hull <laughs> to stop it leaking. And that's that's how we limped around the world. And nobody knew the difference. <laughs> Only that uh, being a seaman, I, I trained as a seaman gunner, when you're doing duty watch, and if anybody listens to this, it was, was on the Eagle at the same time, you were in the wheelhouse and you had four props on the Eagle. And when you were called down as, as the helmsman, um, you know, Revolutions 4-0, you'd call up Revolutions 4-0, sir. Um, and then you'd read back what the telegraphs are saying. Um, starboard in a two four zero revolutions and whatever it was, we'd always there was a separate um, call on the eagle that, that was all revolutions two four zero with the exception of the starboard outer which is reading and it was a different reading because it had a bent prop, <laughs> uh, and that is a quite unique yeah silly things that stop in your mind. Mm. So you came back after going around the world uh, just just before your eighteenth birthday. What was your next draft and that, how did that go? Oh. Oh, God, where did I go from there? I think I did a uh, a couple of months. I'd picked my ordinary, I was a junior seaman most of the Eagle, and I think I picked my ordinary seaman's rate up. And then my second ship was the Brighton, which was a Type 12 converted with a, with a wasp on the back. But I think before I joined that in Victory Barracks, as it was then, I did a, a, a brief spell at um, in Excellent, HMS Excellent, the gunnery school, for some form of qualification. I can't remember what it was. I think my other star for my cross guns. Uh, and then I joined the Brighton. Didn't do much on her, really. I think she, if I remember rightly, she was a Portland squadron uh, helping other boats do work up. I think we had a couple of med trips, went out to jib on her. Uh, she was just part of the fourth flotilla squadron, if I remember rightly. Not, not a great ship, particularly, for no particular reason. Um, having, having been on a fleet carrier, around the world and then suddenly getting Portland squadron on a 25-year-old <laughs> frigate, you know, it's a bit of a... <laughs> and then, unfortunately, I went straight from the Rossi to the Brighton, which was another Type 12 converted frigate with a wasp on the back <laughs> uh, and didn't do much on her either. So what what was your your actual trade then? What, what did you... Again, I, I did my basic training at Ganges and then went into the seaman branch as a gunnery rank. And I, when I, I then went through, I think it was on the Brighton that I started my training for FC2, which is Fire Control 2, and I became a CCAT aimer, mm. um, which is, uh, um, I mean, they're gone now, the CCATs are long gone, but you used to sit in a little pod with a little joystick in front of you and you guided this missile up and, and tried, to, tried to get it to touch whatever you were trying to bring out the sky. Hmm. Um, they weren't, in my opinion, they weren't very successful missiles at all, but it was fun. Wasn't was an operator then? Oh, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> it was a ship wouldn't keep still. Um, <laughs> uh, and that, that is really where I ended up. Um, I was FC2, which is um, uh, cross guns with an FC underneath, and I came out the Navy before it all went computerised. So we, I was, a, a, you know, uh, if you um, as an FC two, you could be fire control in in the actual four five Mark two turret. Uh, there's about, if I remember right, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people manning the the, the turret, plus the people down in the magazines, which are normally chefs or. Stokers mm. or whatever, anyway, stewards, and uh, ended up there all Pompey based ships, and then moved on to a very good ship. I joined the London in '75, 
uh, ready for the bicentennial trip to America. We went out there, polished her up, and went out there with a, a load more from the Stanafall and Standing Naval Force Atlantic ships and did a, a courtesy visit for the 200-year anniversary of uh, the independence of America, 1776 to 1976. So what was London then? She was a GMD, Guided Missile Destroyer. Uh, there was there was about seven of them, if I remember. We had the Glamorgan, the Antrim, the Devonshire, the Hampshire, the London. Might be it. There's, there's half a dozen of us. Beautiful-looking ships. They look more like the old cruisers. Mm. She had twin four-fives up forward. Uh, sea slug, if I remember rightly. They looked, they looked, they're 6,000 tons. They looked like a warship. Uh, and that, that, that was a very, very good trip, America trip. Went to Providence, Rhode Island, and then on to New York. And uh, that was very good. And I, that was the ship that I picked my hook up on as a leading rate. And uh, I was Killick of B. Gundick. Mm. And that's about where my promotion in the Navy stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular reason man. for that? Oh, yeah, loads. I don't think probably for this broadcast. <laughs> I, I spent I spent the following two or three years with my hook going on and coming off and going back on again, <laughs> coming off. I was a single man and I love my runs ashore. And, uh, you know, hmm. um, oh, yeah, you know, missing your ship, um, adrift. I did get my hit hook confirmed before losing it again. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was uh, uh, good times. Yeah, we're all young and daft to one stage, weren't we? Yeah, and I, I had no responsibilities. I wasn't um, uh, married. Um, so, you know, that 10 years from 15 to 25 is to be enjoyed. I, I In those days, you join the Navy to see the world, and that's exactly what I did. Hmm. You know, and I was fortunate enough to do that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I speak to people down our yacht club, as you know, um, that that you know we joined we joined the fighting services um, during the periods of you know the the sixties, seventies, eighties, and there was no wars. You know, we did join the services to see the world, and I was fortunate enough to leave before the other wars started. <laughs> so I did actually enjoy that part of the navy, and we had a decent sized navy. Yeah. You know, wherever you went, you went to jib, and there'd be nine, ten, eleven frigates in mm. there, and you'd have you know intership football at the sports ground and intership drinking in the bars in Main Street and 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 it was fun time was had by all. Yeah. So what um what happened next? Where did you go from there? Uh where did I go from there? I left the London and I had a couple of probably the nastiest ships I think I've ever had in my life. They're two old Blackwood class. I joined the Hardy and they are very small horrendous looking ships and and not i mean they're so old and we had the hardy and if i remember rightly again we were doing work up uh, part of the portland squadron and she broke her back she broke her broke her shaft so we had to go back into oh no we had a problem with the shaft that's right we went back into pompey we had quite an extensive refit came out of refit and we were having navy days or uh, not navy days family day and a lot of families came down, and the, the deal was you'd leave South Railway Jetty out round the Sone, round the Isle of Wight, and back in for tea with the families on board. The ship was all, you know, painted up and tiddly pom. And again, if anyone's around that remembers it, we parted company with South Railway Jetty and smashed straight into the Isle of Wight fuel barge. Um, <laughs> and that, and that, and then we were sort of like limped out the harbour and limped back in again. 
and Navy uh, families days never happened. And um, we went back alongside and just showed everyone a ship and sent them home. Uh, but she was never the same again. Later that year, and uh, that was 77, uh, we had the fleet review and uh, the ship's company transferred on to the Dundas, which was her sister ship, who was more or less out of commission, uh, but they needed her to fill her space in the fleet review. And uh, bless her cotton sock, she was towed out in a cover of darkness, um, put an anchor in her spot, and then when everyone bugger had up-anchored and gone back, they came out under the cover of darkness and towed us back in again. <laughs> so they were two not very good ships. We didn't do much on them, but we did complete uh, to see Her Majesty's Fleet Review of 77. Mm, Silver Jubilee. Silver Jubilee, yeah. Uh, and that, I think, is the end of my seagoing time. I went ashore for a couple of courses. I did a seaman office writer's course at Whale Island. Uh, and I remember at the time, uh, Prince Charles was there doing his lieutenant's course. And uh, he used to come in the RTG, the, the uh, OTG, the officer's training group offices where I was doing my course and um, to get his coffee each morning, and he was driving his blue Aston Martin. I remember that at the time. So, that yeah, that was 70, end of 77, 78. Um, and then I think I went to Vicky Barracks and hung around there for four or five months, and then uh, I came out completing just short of 10 years, nine and a half years. That's, that's, that was my naval career. But, of course, we were lucky enough in that age group, we got a, we, they brought in the, the system of deferred pension. So although mm. I'd only done my nine years or nine and a bit years, I w- was entitled to a pension deferred until I was age 60. Mm. So that, that only came in because there's several people I know only a year or two older than me that didn't have that opportunity, didn't have that. Mm. So when I was 60, I was... Fortunate enough, have a nice little gratuity and a and a small pension coming in from the age of sixty. So that was I did get something for my nine nine and a half years trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do once you left the navy? I got married um, within a year, I suppose, of losing. Uh, well, I lost my father in seventy five, seventy six, and uh, I think that played a part of uh, the fact why I wanted to come out. Maybe I don't. I, I don't really know. But I I met my wife when I was up in uh, up in Rosyth just before I came out of the Navy. And we were married the following year, and we then moved into a married quarter on Thorny Island, which was RAF Thorny Island at the time. I think since then it became a home for boat people, and now I believe the Army are resident on Thorny Island. Yeah, there's an artillery unit on there, I believe, uh, along with the uh, Army Inshore Sailing Centre. That's right, yeah, down by Pilsey on the other side of the island, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's quite a nice little yacht club, actually, that. Well, I've been up there since mm. I've been a member of Hornet. Uh, but then we bought we bought our, our house, we leaving the Navy, I left the married quarter, and we bought a house in Elson, as all Navy people do when they come out of the Navy, they seem to buy a house in Elson for whatever reason. And uh, like any good Ganges trained boy, I said, right, well, the mortgage is X, we need that, we didn't have a car, we need that to do this we need that to do that therefore i'll apply for any job and i seem to remember it was anything earning over 2600 pound a year so i applied for um a progress chaser at a company called marconi uh, a postman at ibm the usual run-of-the-mill things that you're forced into mod plod fireman policeman um, resettlement normally steer you in that, that location um, but I applied for and got 
the position of area manager for a contract cleaning company. I thought all my chickens had come home to roost because that was 3900 a year and came with a van. Now, I thought, I'd never thought I'd earn that type of money. 45 years later, I, I'd, I was, until I retired eight years ago, still in the cleaning industry. That's what got me into it, and I never left it. So my whole 40-odd years since leaving the Navy was was in the cleaning industry. Although the latter 20, the last 20 years, it, it became um, not necessarily cleaning industry. It became this wonderful title of facilities management, which engulfed cleaning, security, catering, um, gardening, landscaping, M&E, encompasses all of that. I guess your all that training you did down at Ganges, all that cleaning of, of ships, stood you in really good stead for, for a life of cleaning. Well, the, dis- the discipline side of it did. Um, you know, I, as you said, you know, how you, you feel about where you are now, it was the training you had in the army. And without a shadow of a doubt, you know, the Navy gave me the, the foot up that, that made me, you know, got me to where I am today, which is, I think, relatively successful. The bit, I got my own business in the end and, you know, it, I was able to sell that eight years ago and retire and live quite comfortably. Um, I think, you know, things change. I think as you, as you grow old, the industry that I started with, um, was totally different to the industry that I ended up in. Uh, you know, as same as the Navy I joined, I started in was not the same Navy I I ended up, you know, finishing in. Um, these are things we just have to, um, come to terms with as we, as we go through this, this walk of life. So what got you into sailing? You started off in the Scouts. So what? No, no, right back from the air to scout sailing in Chesant Reservoir, just love boats. Uh, well, as a child, um, I used to be taken on ferries and Canoe Lake in Southsea with my dad on when he was on leave, and I just loved being on boats. Um, it, it, when I um, when I was in the Navy, I I, did, I was in the, the sailing team on HMS Eagle. We used to sail bosuns then. Uh, we used to go into ship when other ships. Uh, were there and I, I just sailed given you know every chance that I could we used to sail the old windfall yacht at Ganges called Sea Feather an old wooden windfall um, that we got from the Germans at the out there was quite a few of them dotted around I think the army had some as well and and that's it really as soon as I came out the navy I bought my my own boat my first boat which was an alacrity 22 I had that for about four or five years then I bought um, a moody 33 then the Moody 346, um, then I went over to the dark side and bought a Corniche, Fairline Corniche motorboat. That only lasted a year. We, we jumped back over the fence and, and I got an autocat in the end and then went sailing down the mid on that. Mm. So I've always owned a boat, had a boat, um, or, uh, yeah, just I just love being on the water, still do. So were you uh, always a Hornet member or was that something more recent? No, no, I joined Hornet in 1982, 83. If I'm totally honest, I bought a boat before realising I needed somewhere to put it. <laughs> um, and then realising I was ex-Navy, um, I was pointed in the direction of Hornet and I came in through the gate, I remember. I bought my boat from Fisgard in Wales by Moody. And that was being shipped by road the following week. And I came down to Hornet 
and I was walking along the corridor and I bumped into a guy and I said, excuse me, I said, I understand I can join the club here. I need a berth for my boat that I'm getting in a week or two's time. I said, can you point me in the direction of someone that can help me? He said, well, it might be me. He said, because I've only joined this week. He said, but uh, let me introduce, my name's Terry Nash. And that's when I first met Terry Nash in the corridor on his first week at Hornet as the club steward. And uh, as we know with Terry, he had a long career attached to to, to to JSSC or JSC as it was then um, that eventually led him going into becoming club manager. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, the kids grew up there. Um, we used to go, there's a lot of barbecues and, and rallies and treasure hunts all over the Solent in those days. There's quite a lot of young children in the club then. But like any organisation, it goes through changes. Children grow up, older members die off and new blood comes in and the whole ethos of, of clubs change. But, no, still a member after uh, well, I, whatever it is, coming on 40-odd years now. Yeah, 40-odd years, isn't it? Blimey. Yeah, yeah. Although I'm boatless now. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a boat for the first time in 45 years. Are, are you in the market? Um, mentally, yes, but <laughs> physically, no. No, we, we I retired eight years ago, and our last boat was a Nauticat, and I kitted her out and spent a bit of money on her, and we, we disappeared in 2015. Um through the French canals down to the Med, where we've been for five years, which we've cruised from the heel of Italy right the way round to Gibraltar, Alba, Sardinia, Corsica, all the Balearics, and wintered in some lovely places en route. But uh, now 66, arthritis has kicked in the hands, and I, I find it a little bit. I, I, I think we'd have either had to change the boat we had to find a boat that was a bit easier to sail. We didn't want to go any further than than where we did. We didn't want to go further down into the Adriatic or anywhere. So we decided to sell her and we bought a villa down there now. So I've moved shoreside. So we've got a nice little villa down near Alicante. And um, yeah, but I, I still lurk around marinas and chandleries and, you know. Go out and yard sail for somebody else's boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we still know one or two people have got boats, so they might need a hand one day. <laughs> but I think, I think with sailing, you've, you know, in all due respect to a lot of people, we probably both know, you can grow old and not want to let go of something like that. Before you know where you are, you, you've you got a rotting boat and, a, you know, nice memories, but I think you've got to move on while you still can. So after 40 years of sailing and having fulfilled my dream of sailing around the Med on retirement, we've called that a day and then we'll, hmm. you know. It's knowing when to call it a day. That's, just enjoy the land side of things. I think that's the, that's the key to anything. It's, it's knowing when to give up at the right time. Uh, like you say, it's easy It's easy to, to go beyond your sell-by date and then you're in the stock. But it's, it's, it's getting that, that timing right. And if you get the timing right, you won't have a problem. And I think I think you've probably got it right. No. I think you've got to have a little bit of um, – I don't like the word luck because I think, uh, you know, we create our own fortune in life. Um, but I think sometimes you make decisions and you, you're so glad you made them then. I mean, we, we went off sailing five and a half years ago, six years ago now. If we'd have left that another three or four years and I hadn't retired at 58, I'd retired at 62 and we'd gone sailing, you know, when I was 63, with COVID, we'd been absolutely, you know, up, up, up the creek without the paddle because we'd be stuck down there. You can't go anywhere. We had five good years of, of free sailing around there. So, 
that was quite good. So, um, you know, we made the decision at that time, which was right for us, and and uh, it, it worked out very well. Fantastic. So is there anything else that you've done that you would have changed? Oh, no, no, no. You can't, I, don't, I don't believe you. You can't look back uh, through your life saying, you know, I wish I'd have done that, I wish I'd have done that, because it's it's just wasted energy you you know you you've done what you've done and it 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 put you where you are now if i'd have started my own business 5 years earlier would i be worth three times what i am now who knows if i'd have done that instead of that what would have happened who knows no i i had a, you know i can look back on my life and say that i had a fantastic childhood i had brilliant parents i had lovely family holidays i had a loving family i had nearly nine and a half ten good years in the navy and i had a successful career and i'm 66 now and all i've got is a bit of arthritis i'd consider myself fortunate uh, you know long may it continue so as brexit actually impacted you overtly uh when with your villa or have you managed to sort out some sort of residency down there. What's what's your situation with that at the moment with Brexit? Well, the situation regarding Brexit, and obviously we don't want this to turn into a, poli- <laughs> a political conversation, but I, I was never for Brexit anyway. But um, as far as where we are with going to and from the villa, it was no different to a degree to where we were going to and from the boat because not being part of Schengen, we still were stuck with some restrictions in the last five odd years sailing around the Med in theory. But of course, none of it was police, none of it was enforced because everybody rolled along and they loved the yachties being down there. Uh, But in theory now, uh, as of the 31st of December, um, we lose our, um, our freedom to spend more than 90 days in any 180. There's quite a few other restrictions that have come in. So we took the opportunity prior to the um, 31st of December to apply for have been a property owner down there for a non-lucrative visa, which is sort of like halfway towards residency, but it only lasts for five years. Now, we can now come and go as we see fit. We don't have to stick to the 30-90 day rule and uh, we can't be stopped going back because we are semi-resident there. Um, however, I can't spend more than um, six months there in any one hit because then I could be classed as t- a tax resident. And I, 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 you had that choice before. You don't have that choice now. So I will make sure I will spend my six months as I want, but no more than six months. Is, is that accumulative or is that is that? No, no, no. As, as I could go down there for five five months for three weeks and six days. And then come back for... Uh, in one hit. For, they, how long do you have to be out for? But you see, their, their tax year is December to January, yeah. 31st of December. So providing I don't spend more than six months in that tax year, I'm not tax resident. Right. So, so that's the only the only stipulation there. And this non-lucrative visa only lasts for... And you, non-lucrative means I can't take anything from the country, I can't work, mm. I can't earn money yeah. down there, uh, which is absolutely fine by me because I've got no <laughs> intention of working again anyway. But I um, uh, we'll make the decision, because it only lasts for five years, whether our life down there... 
has developed enough for me to go full residency or whether we come back here and yeah. just spend a few months a year down there. I think in our time of life, to, to plan for more than three or four years ahead, you can't because the political stage now is so volatile. As we know, the, yeah. um, the, the you know, the, 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 with, with COVID and things like that is very volatile. And our health is good as, as long as we look after ourselves and, you know, you can't plan as long as you used to be able to plan. Yeah. So, so effectively, you're still on the the, the ninety one eighty, but you've got a one eighty one eighty. Effectively, so you yes. can't you can't spend. Yeah. So you can't be down there for sort of five months, come back for for a month, and then go back down for another five months. I can do. Oh, you can do. So, but I won't do because because I don't. Yeah, I can do that, but I don't want to because I'm. I'm concerned about my tax right, residency. Right, gotcha. Even though you're not, you're not earning any money. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's there's residency and there's tax residency. That, that's that's what you've got to be careful mm. of. So so it's, it's only six months, and it could be a cumulative, or it, it could be in, in patches, but it's it's no more than six months. Well, six months, six six. As far as we're allowed to stop in Spain for, we can stop there all the time. But if I stop, if I stop more than six months, I then become a tax resident in any one tax year, which is January to January. Okay. December to yeah, December. Yeah, I've got you. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the, the final chapters of our lives are still playing out. But, uh, you know, we, uh, we've we got a growing family and we're all healthy and happy and uh, looking forward to the pubs opening again and getting back to some form of normality. Oh, aren't we? Aren't we all? <laughs> still, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed, not too long to go now. Well, twelfth, isn't it? The, the the outside pubs open on the twelfth. Yeah. 12th. So yeah, Pro- providing it's a nice day, we can sit out in the garden. If it's not, we've got to wait another few weeks before we can go inside. Well, it's been lovely the last few days. It's, apparently, there's snow coming again next week. So yeah, could, anything could happen this time of the year. Anyway, thanks very much, Paul. Okay, I hope you found it interesting, and any listeners found it interesting. I've certainly found it interesting over the last sixty-six years. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Tim. Thanks, Paul. That was brilliant. Well, I hope you found that interesting. If you did and your podcast app allows, please like, share and make a comment. Thank you for listening. <laughs>